0: Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. Welcome to Elevate. Oh man, come on, let's try this again. Welcome to Elevate. Yeah. All right. One, two, three. Elevate. Jesus. This is why we're here to elevate. Jesus. And when we leave here, we're going to elevate. Jesus. Amen. 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 Y'all can take your seats. I'm super excited to be with you tonight. Man, we're about to open God's word and it's going to be phenomenal. God is about to rock some of our hearts. I hope y'all are excited about this because I am. So when I was a kid, maybe six years old. I remember playing with a friend of mine who was not a great influence, but my parents were very clear that in the field that we were playing and we were supposed to stay out of the ditch because it was muddy. And I was young. I was innocent. Thank you very much, Noah. I was young and I was innocent. And my friend who was more than happy to plunge into the mud was like, come on, just get your feet muddy, right? And then soon, by the end of this thing, I was covered head to toe, face, everything, brown and happy to be in mud. And my parents have a picture of me and him together, and we're just brown from head to toe. We were happily in—now tell me something. Have you ever been so clean that whenever you got dirty, not only did you not get dirty, but the dirt got cleaner? Like, what if I had gotten out of that mud ditch and I was not only clean, but the ditch was like green grass now instead of being mud? Like, have you ever fallen and instead of getting dirty from the dirt, the ground got cleaner? Has that ever been a rea- reality in your life? is it sin like that? We walk around with, with the holiness of Christ through the sacrifice of Jesus and we put ourselves in an and we just expect that we're just going to make everything else cleaner. But so many times what's true and what actually happens is it's like infecting us where we're at. In the Old Testament, they had a very real problem with sin. This is before Jesus came. And the way that they would try to deal with sin is God instructed them to sacrifice animals. I mean, I mean, it's rough to imagine having to raise a spotless lamb and then you slit its throat and bleed it out on an altar. And, and God is saying, your sins are awful and you deserve death, but I will accept this animal and this animal's death in place of your death. You deserve it, but this animal will be a sacrifice for you. It will take your place, a substitute for you. And so year after year after year, sin was just creeping in their lives all the time. They'd have to go and kill all these animals. And the same thing was true with their temple. They had this big, beautiful temple, and it's layered in gold and beautiful fabrics, and it was stunning. And people would come from all over the world. But all the time, priests would have to go and purify the temple, make it holy again. Why? Because sin always has a way of creeping in. Sin is contagious. It's like the fastest spreading disease of all time. Now, with that kind of in your mind, put that in your back pocket. We started a conversation last week going through the story of the children of Israel. They had been taken as as slaves to Babylon. Remember how God had sent prophets to the the kingdom of Israel? And over and over and over again, they chose their idols. They chose their sin. And God said, look, if you won't turn from your ways, I'm going to send a greater power to come and wipe you out as a discipline." And God sent Babylon, and they did not turn from their ways. And Babylon came and wiped out, no more Israel. As in, the family that God began with Abraham, the family that grew in Egypt and God rescued out of Egypt, that family that out of that would come David and a lineage of great kings, no longer existed. In fact, a majority of them were taken as slaves to another land far away. But 70 years later, just like Jeremiah promised... Just like God had committed and prophesied all this time, 70 years later, Babylon would be conquered by a greater power, Persia, and that king, Cyrus, would release them to go home. Not only did he release them, but we read it last week that he released them and he gave them the money and materials that they would need to rebuild their temple because God is awesome like that. So that's where we started last week. And we read about Hag- Haggai, and Haggai was a prophet that came to him, and they stopped building the temple because they wanted to kind of go pad their own houses, and Haggai is getting them stirred up again. Like, guys, the temple represents the, the presence of God here. We should be putting that as a priority. So I want to continue the story because it's so interesting. Now, I had mentioned very briefly last week that they had paused building the temple, and one was to pad their own houses, but also their surrounding communities were upset with them for coming home and trying to pull off this work project. So the communities wrote a letter to the king of Persia and said, You know how you gave them the money and everything to come home and rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls? Well, you know what? They have every intention of rebuilding their city so they can rebel against you. And the king of Persia is like, What? I'm trying to help them out and they're turning on me? And so he sends orders that they're supposed to stop all construction. And so that was their resistance. And Haggai steps into the middle of this as as God is calling us to start up again. He's calling us to go back and lay the foundation of the temple. So now that we have kind of some backstory, I would like to bring up a verse we read last week. It's Ephesians 2.20. Because all this Old Testament temple stuff doesn't mean much unless we're going to recognize the truth that Christ is the temple today. That Christ's people are the temple where his presence dwells. And so Ephesians 2.20-22 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. That is so powerful. And if you're like, Dom, I want to catch up. Soon, last week will be online, I promise. We'll try to get it up this week so you can catch up. It was a cool message. It was a lot of fun to talk about. Before we move on, quick note. The word house of God and temple are interchangeable. They are the place that is seen as the dwelling place of God's presence on earth. Y'all follow me there? Also... Whenever the first wave of people came home from Babylon to come back and rebuild the temple, they were led by two guys. One's name was Joshua. He was the high priest at the time. Not Joshua, like the book of Joshua. This is much later. And the other guy's name was Zerubbabel. Can y'all say Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel. It's kind of fun to say. Zerubbabel was kind of a political leader. And he was leading the people home, and he was leading the construction of all this stuff. You need to know this. Zerubbabel was a descendant of the last king of israel before it was wiped out from babylon and so this is a descendant this is the great grandson of jehoiachin i think yeah weird name and so that's kind of how he came into his political standing you got to remember that log that in the back of your mind so we're going to pick up ezra 4 verse 24 ezra is where we get the history and haggai is the prophecy in the middle of it So they get the letter back from the king of Persia. Thus, the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. And then we insert, let's go to 5 verse 1. This is the very next chapter. Then the prophet Haggai, we read about him last week, right? Like, nod your head. Yes, I'm totally with you. Then Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Zahuzedek, rose up and began to build the house of God. That's what we talked about last week, right? So they get construction going again in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. This is just a side note. I love it that the prophets didn't just come down from the mountain, drop a word of God on them, and leave again. Like Haggai is the kind of worker that says, this is what God's saying. Hold on. Let me carry that with you. He's getting his hands dirty. He is a part of the construction. He and Zechariah. And you can read the next book after this. is Zechariah to find out what he had to say. So we're going to pick up there. Now they get building for a little while. And then let's go to Ezra 3. Ezra is not in great order, but this is the next thing that happens after they start building the temple. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of Yahweh, the priests stood in their apparel, so they're all robed out with the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with the cymbals, and they're ready to like party because the foundation is finally laid. According to the ordinance of King David of Israel, and they sang responsibly, and they're praising, and they're giving thanks to God— For he is good, his mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. They are excited. They are throwing a party. This is like New Year's Eve in New York City. They are having a party. And when they praised Yahweh because of the foundation of Yahweh, of the house of Yahweh was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the father's houses, the old men who had seen the first temple, as in, they were older than 70 years old. They remembered what the temple looked like that Solomon built that was destroyed when Babylon wiped them out. And Solomon's temple was beautiful. It took them decades to build, and it took them endless amounts of treasure to put this thing together. And it was beautiful. I told you, people travel from all over the world to see Solomon's temple. It had been wiped out. And so they're trying to get this thing going again. They don't have a lot of, a lot of money to work on it. So these older people that remember the old temple, they wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy. Yay! So the young people are like, this is awesome. And the old people are like, guys, you don't even understand. Like This is peanuts compared to what we used to have. This is so inferior. So many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout from joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard from afar off. So this is what's going on. Now, meanwhile, Haggai is going to be called by God to respond to this situation. So let's turn to Haggai. We're going to go to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In the seventh month, so this is four weeks after his last prophecy of let's get her done, let's put the temple back together again, start laying the foundation. Four weeks later, on the 21st of the month, the word of Yahweh came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the remnant of the people, saying, okay, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? Hey, guys, who here saw the temple back in the day before we were carried off into slavery? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not nothing in your eyes? Is this not in your eyes as of nothing? Different translations. Yet now, be strong. Hang in there for a second. Four weeks later, they're building on this thing. And they look at it they finished the foundation. Like they've laid the ground stones, the cornerstone and all the stones that everything's gonna be built up on and they look at it and despite their very, very best efforts, despite being obedient to the word of God, they look at it and they're so disappointed. They're so discouraged. Have you ever given your very best at something and in the end it just doesn't seem to be par? Doesn't seem to live up to what your expectations were? This is how they're feeling right now. Like they remember the glory of what it used to be. And now it's just inferior shambles compared to what they used to have. So let's keep going. Verse 4. Yet now, this is God speaking, be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, or Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people, says Yahweh. And the work, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Stop right there. That is so beautiful. I love how God calls them individually. It's even the same message. You just, could have just said, okay, the two of you and everybody out there have got one message, but it's like, you, be strong. And you, be strong. And the Lord's telling you to be strong. He's calling them out individually. And work. Be strong and work. Three times. Be strong. Work. So what? You don't have the resources you wanted. So what, you have enemies coming against you, and they're writing mean letters to the big, bad king. The big, bad people are writing letters to the king. So what, all of these things are going on. They're tired and discouraged. How can they be strong? And God answers that. It's not that God says, I'm going to give you superhuman strength. It's not, you're never going to have to sleep again. It's not that you're going to have Solomon-esque wisdom. God says, be strong because I am with you. Be strong. And I'll tell you how you can be strong. I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you my spirit. I will be with you. Every stone that you lay, recognize I'm I'm with you carrying it. Every time you are discouraged, recognize I'm walking with you and I'm encouraging you. Elevate. Every time you're discouraged, know that your God walks with you. Be strong. Three times. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Don't quit. Because God is promising you, I'm with you. So keep working. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep running the race. Keep going. Not because I'm going like, to open up my seasoning cabinet and sprinkle some, some strength on you. No, 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 no. Strength is not an abstract thing. Strength is me. And I'm giving myself to you to empower you. Verse 5. According to the word that I covenanted, we made a covenant with you. When you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Israel, you've broken our covenant. You broke our covenant so bad that you had to be punished with slavery for 70 years. While you were in exile, you might have thought that I was rejecting you. But Israel, you need to know that I never rejected you. It was a severe mercy, a severe grace that I would discipline you because you were still always mine. You broke your covenant. I've never broken the covenant. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. I've always been true to my people. God is so faithful. Therefore, don't fear. Why shouldn't you fear? Because I'm with you. I'm going to, what does he say? So my spirit remains among you, so do not fear. That's good news for us tonight. We can be strong. We can work hard, and we don't have to have fear. Why? Because God is with us. He's walking with us, arm in arm. We've got this. For that hard conversation you've got to have, that tough class, that situation of the falling out with your friend, that parent, you're not alone. Your God is with you. And then he changes gears. This is so interesting. This blew my mind. You ready? Two, we're going to start in verse six. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, and it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and the dry land. I'm about to rattle some cages. Watch out, people. I'm about to shake not just you guys. I'm about to shake heaven and earth. And I will shake all the nations. And they are going to come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Did that get you just a little bit of excited? Is yeah. that's pretty cool. God's like, look, look, look. You're my people. But I'm not just about to shake things with you guys. I'm about to rattle the whole world. I'm going to shake everything of every tongue, of every language, wherever they're living. I'm about to rattle their cages. Things will never be the same again. Now to interpret scripture, we like to use scripture to interpret scripture. And we're very lucky that the writer of Hebrews kind of commentated on Haggai 2, 6 through 9. So if you would turn your Bibles to Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 25. See that you do not... Refuse him who speaks. Talking about the Lord. For if they did not escape when you refused him, you spoke on earth. Who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. For whose voice then, here we go, shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth but also heaven. Now this, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as things that are made. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Did y'all follow that? Sorry, the language is a little tough. In short, I'm about to shake everything, and those things that can be shaken are going to be done away with, but those things that cannot be shaken will remain. Did y'all follow that now? I'm about to rattle everything, and the only thing that's going to be left behind are the things that I've established. The only things that will stand strong when everything is shaken are going to be the things of me is what God's talking about. So let's go back to Haggai and read this again. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, and it'll be a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and dry land. I will shake all the nations and they shall come to thee. And we have this interesting thing, the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The desire of all nations. It's like, God, are you, is this the name of the temple? That it's the desire of all nations? Yes, there there will be a new temple. And yes, God's going to fill it with glory. And only the things that are unshakable are going to remain. And it's going to be far greater than the last. Let's keep reading. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple will be greater than the former temple, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. The new temple is going to so outweigh the old one. And it's going to be called the desire of all nations. What do nations desire? What does every people group desire? Um, Love? Hope? Forgiveness? Amending of separation? What is it that we strive so hard on earth for all the time? We're always trying to fill a gap. We're always trying to to entertain ourselves a little bit longer, to feel like we've accomplished something, to get enough money, to, to, to feel like it's enough. What is it that we're striving for so hard? What is the desire of all people? It's a reunion with life. It's that separation between God and man being mended. It's that forgiveness that brings us back into a right relationship with God that we can feel peace. The peace that he's promising here in verse 9. And in this place I will give peace. That's the desire of all nations. The desire of all nations is peace. Are y'all following me? Nod your heads. Take that and put that in the back of your pocket for a minute. It's about to get good. Turn your Bibles to John, chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. And while you're While you're turning there, looking at the screen, consider this. I love the verse 8. It says, And the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says Yahweh of hosts. Why is that important? Is he saying to the people, There's nothing you can bring that's ever going to fill it with a glory like I'm going to fill it. Empty your pockets. Bring in the best wood. Make it as pretty as you want. But it's all going to fall flat to what I'm going to bring. And I'm going to bring my glory. This is what what, uh, we have Luke. Oh no, John chapter 2, verse 13. Is that sweet? Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple. Okay, are you picking up the story? This is the temple that they built. Y'all, like, yes, okay? This is the temple that the people, like, they started building it, and they got some resistance, and they started building it again because of Haggai, and they're looking at it, and they're not really happy with it. I'll tell you, some years later, a man by the name of Herod the Great, the same guy that tried to wipe out Jesus as a kid, he would take 40 years and try to beautify the temple and make it as beautiful and lush as he could. So Jesus is standing in front of that temple. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, "'Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise.'" Here you go. Ready for the kicker? Then he said to his disciples, "'Remember that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up.'" So the Jews answered and said to him, "'What sign do you show us since you do these things?' And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, hey, "It has taken us 46 years to build this temple, talking about Herod's beautifying process, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. The desire of all nations. This new temple that God's going to fill with glory, that's going to be so much better than any old temple that Solomon could build, is not going to be made of stone. It's not going to be made by by the hands of people. This new temple that is going to bring peace, that's going to be the desire of all people. This is Jesus Christ. This is the temple of God's presence on earth. That's what a temple is, according to Scripture, is where God people recognize that God's presence dwells. And it's no longer going to dwell in a building. It's going to dwell in the man of Jesus Christ, God in flesh. And he's going to walk among his people. That's phenomenal. And God is foretelling it, prophesying it here in Haggai. That's crazy. And you know what? The gold and silver we could bring, our very best righteousness, our very best holiness, is going to fall flat before what Jesus is bringing. He's bringing holiness. He's bringing glory. He's bringing hope to all nations. And then we're going to change gears. Uh, I love this. You know what? I'm not even done. Let's keep going. The temple would be the desire of all nations. That's Jesus. Emmanuel, the place of God's presence. Get this. Verse 9. What's the outcome of God's temple? The glory of this latter temple will be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place I will give peace this is going to be the place of peace. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Let's read that real quick. You ready? Is it getting good? You're like, yeah, track it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus was the temple. Destroy it in three days I'll raise it again. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Isn't that cool? I just love the word of God. It's amazing how it works. Let's keep going. Now we're going to get some like weird kind of priest language here, but I want you to track with me. And we're going to pull that old mud story back out to make sense. Because he's... Haggai is going to ask the priests some questions. And the questions are anchored in the book of Leviticus. And if you ever read that, that's weird. And it's all about ritual cleanliness, what God defined as holiness, a being different from all the people around them. And what they ate would either make them holy, or actually, they, they were holy, and what they ate could make them unholy. Or what they touched, if they touched a dead animal, it could make them unholy. And there's all these weird kind of laws. And so we're going to get just a few verses of strange law stuff, but it's going to make sense here in a minute. Verse 10, Haggai comes and he's talking to him again. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts. Now, ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in his pocket, in the fold of his garment, if he has holy meat in his pocket, and with the edge of it, he touches bread or stew or wine or any food, will it become holy? And he's asking that question, like if you have something that's clean and you touch something that's dirty, does the clean thing make the dirty clean? Like, no, of course it doesn't. Then the priest answered, no. Verse 13, and Haggai said, if one of you is unclean because he touched a dead body or because of a dead body touches any of these, will it become clean? And the priest answered the same thing, it shall be unclean. So it's that, it's that idea of if something that is clean or holy touches something that's unholy. It's the unholy that always rubs off. It's that contagious virus, disease, that always spreads to what is clean. There's no way I was going to get out of that pit and not only be clean, but have the the ditch be cleaner. Like, that's just not going to happen. And follow this. Then Haggai answered and said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so every work of their hands, whatever they offer there at the temple, is unclean. Ouch. Ouch. Do y'all kind of hear what's happening? God's preparing the soil for Jesus. Because we're going to have Haggai, Zechariah, and then Malachi as the last prophet. And then what? The next book is the book of Matthew. Enter Jesus. He's preparing the soil here. And he's leaving us on this cliffhanger. He's saying, it's straightforward. I mean, he says, and he answers and he tells the people, Tell them this, every work of their hands and whatever they offer is unclean. It's just a matter-of-fact statement. He doesn't give them a way out. He doesn't say, kill more animals. It just says, by the way, everything you do is unclean. At your very core, you're a sinner. At your very core, you're unrighteous and you're lost. By the way, this is a cliffhanger verse because they're supposed to ask the question, what now? Well, what do we do? We can build a whole temple. We can kill animals, but I don't know how to fix inside. I I don't know how to change my nature. It's a cliffhanger verse. It's supposed to leave them on the edge of their seat. Of uh, well, what's left? What do we do? All we can do is try to make the temple prettier. It's not going to deal with what's inside. Hold that thought. He's preparing the soil the all-knowing, sovereign God is making a matter-of-fact statement about their spiritual condition, their disease is incurable, and no temple built by hands, no matter how fancy or holy, is going to cure their unclean hearts. Their impurity will only affect any holiness of something they try to construct. Hold that thought. Back pocket. All right, verse 15. Y'all remember the last chapter? We saw, like, blessings and curses. Because they were being disobedient, they weren't building the temple, they were enduring curses. If you're like, I'm confused, listen to last week's message, it was really fun. Check this out, verse 15. Haggai's going to bring them back to that thought. And now, carefully consider from this day forward, from before the stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days, when one came to heap up 20 chunks of wheat, there were only but 10. And when one came to... The wine vat didn't draw 50 chunks of wine. Gallons of wine. I don't know. Whatever. From the press, there were only 20. Every time you went to do something, you got like half of what you expected, right? And I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the nine month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is this seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. You've been obedient. You know what? Your heart is still full of sin. But I see your obedience. I see you're trying. And now that you've laid the foundation, you've shown me your obedience, you're no longer under the curse. Remember all those things, how you would try to work and it just wasn't working out for you? Your fields were like getting sick and all these things are going wrong. You've been obedient. And now you're under my blessing again. So there's hope. Your hearts are sinful. I've got hope for you. Cliffhanger. It's about to get good again. You ready? <laughs> so Haggai is like walking away, and God's like, Haggai, I got more to say. And he's like, okay. So he goes back. And so in the same day, Haggai offers two different prophecies. Let's bring it up in verse 20. And again, the word came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, blah, 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 same day. Verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake. He's repeating the same language. This is important for us to hear. I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I'll destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I'll overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and riders are going to come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. God's going to come. He's going to shake everything up, and he's going to lay waste to his enemies. God is about to open a can of kick booty, and he is about to bring down every one of Israel's enemies and his own enemies. And get this, verse 23, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I'm going to make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Don't get stuck on this being a personal message to just Zerubbabel. You have to understand what Zerubbabel represents. He represents all of Israel, but he also represents the line of David. He also represents the lineage through Abraham, through Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah, through David, through the kings that got wiped out in a continuing line. He's like Aragorn wandering the world to Zerubbabel. And he's promising them something. God has chosen him to be a signet ring. A signet ring was worn either on the finger or on a chain around the neck. And it was attached to the person so that it was never apart from its owner. God's saying, hey, during the exile, when you felt like you were far away from me, has anyone in here ever felt like you were far away from the Lord? Me? I'll put my hand up first. Whenever you felt like you were far away from me and detached, I never let you go. You were like my signet ring. You're always a part of me. You broke your side of the covenant. I never broke mine. You're always mine. A signet ring would also be placed as a royal seal on top of documents. And it represented that the authority of the signet ring holder was a part of that certificate. And they're left waiting again. Now they have two different cliffhangers here. Their hearts are full of sin that they can't fix. And we have a promise to Zerubbabel that needs to be fulfilled. Two different cliffhangers. Is that slide up there? I think I've got a slide that actually says that. There we go. Two cliffhangers. We're so lucky that we get to turn the page and look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. This is is so cool. Chapter 1. We start in verse 12. We're jumping in the middle of, of the genealogy. And after they were brought to Babylon, hey, that's the story we're talking about, Yeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot who? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot that guy, who begot that guy, and that guy, and Azor. Yeah, Azor begot Zadok, and Achim, and blah, 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 blah. blah. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, From David until captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Zerubbabel, I've got a promise to fulfill in you, through you. You're going to be my signet ring, and Zerubbabel will become the great, 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 great grandfather of Joseph, who would father Jesus. Let's go to the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28. Because remember what else? A signet ring? conveys the authority through that press, that seal. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. Jesus is about to do his launch off the mountain. He's already died. He's resurrected from the grave, and he is commissioning his disciples before he leaves. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All... You're not paying attention. And Jesus comes to them and says, All authority has been given to me. In heaven... And on earth. Are you picking up some familiar language? That book Haggai that you never read before is actually critical in what Jesus is talking about in these verses that you probably have read before. And all authority has been given to me. Why? Because Christ is the signet ring, Christ is the desire of all nations. Jesus fulfills everything that Haggai is talking about. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. Ah! Did y'all catch that? Hello? This is familiar language again. And lo, what? I, the presence of God on earth, the Spirit of God, am with you. How long? Till the end of the age. You thought Haggai was just there! And Jesus has been quoting it in front of you the whole time. Why? It doesn't say that Jesus gave them authority on all of heaven and earth. He says, I have all of authority and I am with you. That's amazing, powerful stuff. <laughs> I love it. The Bible is so cool. Remember how sin is contagious? How it infects what is holy? Let's take a look at a story in Jesus' life. This is in Mark chapter 1. We're going to see a really beautiful story and some beautiful symbolism. Now a leper comes to Jesus, begging him, kneeling down, and says to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. All right, pause right there. Remember all those holiness laws in Leviticus that we talked about? If someone had leprosy, the skin disease that rots your body, part of... The Leviticus code is you do never, never, ever, 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 never, never do you ever touch them. You send them out of the city. You ostracize them completely. Because not only if you touch them do you become unclean, you touch them and you get the disease. If you're a willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. Like that is huge. We don't even understand in our culture how big that is. He reaches out his hand and touches him and says to him, I am willing, and he doesn't ask. I love it. It doesn't ask, fix my skin. He says, if you're willing, I can be clean. Because we're referencing something powerful here. And Jesus says, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Why? Because Jesus didn't get leprosy. Leprosy got Jesus. Like, that's amazing! Because holiness doesn't work the same. In the Old Testament, sin was the contagious thing. But Jesus walks on earth, and He is the new temple. And the new temple works in reverse. Jesus touches and makes clean and makes holy. How powerful is that? That is so beautiful. We no longer go to a temple made of hands. God does not dwell in a temple made of hands. That's what Acts 7, 48-50 says. We go to Jesus in his sacrifice as the perfect lamb makes us clean. Ezra 6, 14-15 talks about how they finally finished the temple. It takes them six years to finish the, the groundwork and get the initial temple set up before Herod. Hundreds of years later is going to like beautify it and try to make it better. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophecy of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Ido, I don't know. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Let's keep going. Is that it? If I didn't put enough verses? I can just read it. It says 6, 16. Then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of the house with joy. And without reading it, I just want you to know, they offered sacrifices, they cleansed the temple, because they had to keep cleansing the temple. The most significant thing they did is they reinstituted the Passover. Do you all remember what the Passover was? before their exile in Babylon, before the reign of the lineage of kings, before Moses was out in the wilderness and God was giving them the law, they were slaves in Egypt. And God would use the Passover to bring them out of Egypt, to save them from Egypt. And God told Moses, go and tell everybody to put the blood of a perfect lamb on your doorpost. Y'all remember the story? And anybody anybody being mostly the Egyptians, who doesn't do this, I'm going to visit their house and their firstborn will die. And everyone who is obedient, I will pass over that home. I'll see your obedience. I will see the blood of the perfect lamb on your door and I will pass over your house and you'll be saved from Egypt. And they reinstituted this. It's so interesting how it's going to be that temple that Jesus will be standing in front of at the Passover it will be that temple, that nearby, as they're slaying a lamb in remembrance of the Passover, Jesus is going to be dying on a cross outside the city, on the hill called Golgotha. Jesus would fulfill. They didn't have to keep killing a lamb anymore because he would fulfill, because sin is no longer contagious and getting into what's holy, because Jesus is the new temple who changes sin, who cleanses sin. He is going to be on Calvary dying in his blood will be painted on his believers so that we will be saved from sin. That sin problem in our heart that we can't deal with. That we try so hard to cover it up and we try to look good maybe at church. We try to look good at Elevate. We try to look good at school. And we're so busy trying to make the outside look great. Just like Herod the Great. Only Jesus and what he did at the cross is going to deal with what's inside. So there's a question to two different categories in this room. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ and you recognize that in the deepest part of you, you're just evil. You just know that every inclination that you have is selfish. You have the opportunity to give your life to Jesus who can deal with the deepest part those sins that you feel like you can never get away from, not only can you erase those sins, those sins don't mess with Jesus' holiness. Jesus messes with those sins. Those can be erased. And not only that, but he takes away the guilt. Thank you, Jesus, that you take away the guilt. And so I challenge you, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, find a leader in here. They're ready and anxious if you would like to give your life to the Lord. It begins with repentance. And you're like, man, of course I want to live for you. Heal me from that hurt. If you've given your life to the Lord, and you know that you live regularly, getting your hands dirty. Remember how Peter sat before Jesus, and Jesus says, I need to wash your feet. And Peter's like, hey, as long as you're washing, wash me all over. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I just need to wash your feet. Like we who give our lives to the Lord... Jesus cleansed us. We are cleansed. As we walk through the world, let's be honest, we still make a lot of mistakes. We still sin. We still act selfishly. We still knowingly make choices that that grieve the heart of the Lord. We need to daily become the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me my sin. You are the temple. You're the one that I go to. That I can be purified again. Now, like, Christians, when you sin, you don't lose your salvation. I need to make that really, really clear. Jesus paid on that cross every sin you're ever going to make. But just like I don't lose my marriage whenever I hurt Jackie's feelings, I still need to make things right with her so that we can have a closer relationship. We need to daily let Jesus wash our feet. Come to him and say, Lord, forgive me my sin. Yesterday, I know I lusted, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry. I'm going to... Give me the power. Empower me. Walk with me today and not do that again. I challenge you to make it a practice, a daily practice to confess our sins before God, to go before his holy temple before Jesus and let him cleanse us. And I promise you, nothing you can do can ever wipe the mud off yourself. It's like we have mud on our hands and mud on our face and we're just trying to wipe mud off and we're only adding to it. It has to be Jesus. Because God's Holy Spirit on earth was Jesus. And don't forget what Ephesians said, how we opened tonight. Let's read Ephesians again. That was so beautiful. It takes it to the next level. Ephesians chapter, I think it's 2? Yeah, verse 20. I need to memorize these things. I call myself a youth pastor. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets foundation, you know, like building a temple. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Oh, that's interesting because remember whenever they laid the foundation, the cornerstone, that's when they came under the blessing of God and obedience. That's so cool. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Where is God on earth? Us. We need him to daily cleanse us because we're the place that his spirit dwells. Ooh. That's amazing. Okay. Was this amazing? Is Haggai so cool or what? Golly. All right. Heavenly Father, it is an honor to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for this prophet who got all of two chapters and yet was so critical in the cliffhanger towards Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the signet ring. You were the desire of all nations. And Lord, we are glad to come to you because you are what we desire. Peace. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Wash us clean. Forgive us every time that we fall into our pride, our selfishness, that we dishonor our parents, that we lust, that we're greedy, that we lie, Lord, that we gossip, Lord, steal or cave into that addiction over and over again. Forgive us, Lord. Wash us clean. Lord, I pray that you will pour your red blood over our black heart and make us white as snow love you, Lord. In Jesus' holy and precious, incredible, awesome name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Love you, Elevate. All right. Don't forget, next week we're bringing in the seventh graders. It would really mean a lot to me, just even personally, that as the seventh graders come in, please go out of your way to get to know them. Welcome them into a culture of love and acceptance, of lifting each other up of worshiping Jesus with all of our hearts please help me with that Uh, the 7th graders are going to be Elevate and so let's rub off on them exactly what we see this place to be and what it's been for you Um, is there anything else conference is coming up hopefully by next week yes so excited about conference hopefully by next week we'll start registration it's going to be it's really going to be great this year and that's all I'm going to give you suspense love you guys have a great night Elevate you're Dismissed.